Welcome to Voices of ASEAN, a platform built for you where we connect shakers and movers of this region to one another. Business, lifestyle, people, perspectives, news, and the soul of the people from all over Southeast Asia. Hello, everyone. My name is Beatrice and welcome to another episode of Voices of ASEAN. Today, as part of a partnership with the Dubai Chamber of Commerce and Industry, I am pleased to welcome Dr. Aisha Kanna, co-founder and CEO of Addo AI, which is an artificial intelligence and incubator firm in Singapore. Dr. Aisha has a string of achievements more than a mile long. Now, not only did she co-found Addo AI, she serves as a board member for several large organizations, including Infocom Media Development, the agency regulating Singapore's technology sector, and Neom Tech and Digital Holdings Company, the organization developing the USD $500 billion smart city in Saudi Arabia, and more. She was named one of Southeast Asia's groundbreaking Female Entrepreneurs by Forbes magazine and is also known for co-authoring Hybrid Reality, Thriving in the Emerging Human Technologies Civilization. Dr. Aisha is scheduled to speak on artificial intelligence, digitalization and smart cities at the Global Business Forum ASEAN on the 8th and 9th December. And today we are really lucky because she'll be giving us a sneak peek into her presentation at the GBF ASEAN. Now, joining me live from USA, here is Dr. Aisha Khanna. Hi, everyone. Hi, I Beatrice. I said Aisha. It's Aisha Khanna. Sorry. <laughs> That's right. It's okay. <laughs> Dr. Aisha, you have had an illustrious career. Now, before founding Ado AI, you spent more than a decade on Wall Street developing large-scale trading, risk management, and data analytics systems. Now, what inspired you to retire from Wall Street and into the world of startups and AI through your company, Addo AI? And what have been the milestones of your organization since then? Well, you know, when I started off as a software engineer after I went to Harvard and Columbia University in, in the US, Everybody in my family was so disappointed. They were like, why are you doing technology? Who does technology? It's the back office. <laughs> because in Asia, you know, we, we didn't really understand that yeah. technology, we considered it like back office work yeah. about that yeah, yeah, 15, 20 years ago. Yeah. And then uh, I was on Wall Street and I saw, because Wall Street was the first area where they were investing money in data and technology. Yes, I right. saw the change it made in the processes, the productivity, the efficiency of the banks. And over time, I learned so much and I said, well, this can be applied to any industry. Yeah. Uh, you know, you don't need the, only the startups to do it, but any older company, no matter how big it is, how mm -hmm. a telco, a bank, an insurance company, a transport company, they can all benefit yeah. from using data um, and data in a way that's usable, accessible, and useful. Yeah. So once I went to Singapore, I started um, a few years ago after doing some more consulting, I started my own firm, Addo AI, mm -hmm. and we specialize, we're like data doctors. Mm. So we go in, your data is a mess, you don't know how to use it, we mm. organize it, we clean it, mm. we enrich it. So now you have mm. this literally golden asset, which mm -hmm. you can use 
to automatically do customer service, to predict how much inventory you should have, mm -hmm. to optimize your, um, your routes for your logistics companies. Mm -hmm. All of these things can be done. Uh, mm -hmm. If you're a healthcare company, you can literally predict how many people will be in your emergency queue lines on a certain day mm -hmm. so that you can actually optimize the nurses and doctors that should be there in that hospital. Mm -hmm. This is not possible without the use of data. This, this yeah. is not possible without the use of statistics. Yeah. And the, the milestones that we had was that first we started working in Singapore. Mm -hmm. So we work with the largest land uh, a public transport company there. And we try to digitize the transport sector mm. uh, in, in interesting ways. Then we moved on to, we were very lucky, we moved on to three of the largest telcos in Asia, mm. some of the largest banks, insurance companies from Japan. Then we moved on to the Middle East, where we're now going to start two very big projects in AI and healthcare. Mm -hmm. And the reason I'm in New York is because we're expanding our footprint in the US now. So there's such a great deal of demand for great data engineers or great data doctors who yes. can then use the data in interesting ways. Was this your area of specialization? You said you're a PhD holder? Yeah, so, but I started off, um, you know, in economics and mathematics, then I went on to applied mathematics. Mm -hmm. And uh, once I got into software engineering, then I was doing a lot of the implementation of quantitative algorithms mm -hmm. for traders on Wall Street. Mm -hmm. So then I went for my PhD in information systems, mm -hmm. where we looked at smart cities. And how do you, you know, smart cities is a different animal yeah. than yeah. a company. Yeah. Uh, how do you look at smart cities and how do you how do you use AI to optimize and the the citizen experience? Mm. So the most important thing about out of all of this is at the end of the day, your job is not to use AI, not to use data. It's to optimize your customer experience, whether yep. your customer is another company, it's a citizen, it's a consumer. So it's a new way of problem solving. Yeah. which is why I think anybody can do it. There is no excuse for you not to learn a little bit of AI and to understand how it will affect your industry. Even you, Beatrice, I would really? say you should think about it. That. <laughs> yes, you must think about it because you must think if I'm um, a journalist, if I'm a media publisher, yeah. how can I stand on the shoulders of artificial intelligence so that they remove any of the grunt work or routine work that I don't like and they free up my time to do things I do like. And mm. that is the right way to think about it. Most yeah. people wait for AI. They wait for now blockchain, crypto. They think, oh, what is it going to do to my job, my industry? That's not the right attitude. The right attitude is Oh, that's cool. What am I going to do with it? Yeah. To How use can it I use that assistant? to make my life easier? Yes, to make right? your job better so that mm. you succeed more, you reach more people. I optimize my time. I optimize the structures so that everything is just so, so you're absolutely right. So we focus on our core and we let the AI yes. do whatever is mundane. Am I getting that right? And that's just first. That's the first step. After mm. that, you use the AI to optimize uh, mm. and to innovate. So you could say, you know, I'm going to be doing, you're doing live streaming right now. What else can you do with AI? Basically, could you have a virtual co-host? 
Could you have automatic translation in you know, 30 languages? What if somebody had questions uh, that you and I are talking to each other, but the, 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 your virtual co-host could answer? What if they were, what if we were in the metaverse uh, and people had different kinds of identities? I mean, there's so much you can yeah, think about. Right. You could just let your imagination flow. Like I have a platform like Voice of ASEAN. How do I get AI to yeah, yeah. be a, an intricate part of it and make it like become alive, right? I could think that way. Yes. You have to, and you can also think, I want to reach more people. So mm. how do I reach more people? How do I make it interesting for them? Uh, how do I market to them better? All of these things are ways, how do I engage them more? When should I reach out to them? So for example, for a very large like travel retailer, they were sending out marketing campaigns for their you know, perfumes and mm -hmm. a lot of the other luxury items. And, and I was shocked. People mm -hmm. spend like hundreds of thousands of dollars when they get an email and they click on it you know, and mm -hmm. buy a Gucci bag or something. Mm -hmm. um, and um, they realized that they were sending people things, but not they wanted to engage people more. So what yeah. we did was we said, look, organize your customer data so that you okay. understand your customers. Don't use this old school way of like, Aisha's a mom, she lives in Singapore, she will behave this way. Use their digital behavior mm -hmm. and their history of their work with you, to their transactions with you to understand them. And when you do that, we gave them a list. We mm -hmm. said, send these customers these luxury items on this day. Okay. And we gave them several lists like that. Mm -hmm. And their customer engagement went up by 40%. Oh. So when you use data, you help your clients by giving them the right information at the right time, uh, which is much more way, relevant. Right? Instead of just tracking, it's a more proactive way to go and send them things that you think they would need. Exactly. Because mm. your point is not to sell. At the end of the day, we have to change our mindset. It's to better serve your customer, whoever yeah. it may be, maybe the government, maybe a person. And that requires you to not only know, be an engineer, but to be a problem solver. Yeah, so exactly. If you are a problem solver, you can work with somebody like me. And that's the modern team. The mm -hmm. 21st century team is somebody who knows no AI and data, somebody like me who knows data and AI, and now we have a third member of the team that is the AI agent, the machine itself, that's mm. learning. And so there's that trifecta is the new team. Mm. I have a, can I ask a dumb question? Yeah, but please, <laughs> there is no such thing. <laughs> oh. Okay, so you, you mentioned blockchain. Is blockchain yes. AI? No, not at all. Blockchain okay. is a, so artificial intelligence is essentially the combination of computer science and statistical methods. What okay. it does is it uses data to understand what is happening around it, okay. basically. So you can, uh, you know, if you look at a, if you look at a car, for example, uh, an autonomous driving, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the car is controlled by AI and it's mm -hmm. it's getting all this input. It's mm -hmm. see pedestrians are crossing. There's a red light. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's a there's a woman with a stroller on the right mm -hmm. side. Mm -hmm. So AI takes these inputs, and then based on its algorithm, it says stop the car or accelerate or mm -hmm. decelerate. Mm -hmm. Blockchain is different. Blockchain okay. is just um, a, a database, essentially. So what it does is, let's say that the same car, you are buying a car, 
and you are buying a secondhand autonomous vehicle and you wanted to know who's bought it before, did they have any problems with it? Um, you know, how many, how much did they pay for it? And you go to your car dealer and you don't really trust him, you know, because mm. he's like the smart alecky guy, he's selling you stuff. <laughs> but if all the history of the car was on the blockchain, not in, not he didn't own it, but it was transparent for everybody. A, a blockchain is like a public ledger. You would be able to say, oh, Aisha owned this car. She had the tires fixed. Uh, she spent this much money on buying it. Her insurance was this much. She drove too slow or too fast five times. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that price that she's saying seems okay to me. So the blockchain is just wonderful because they takes all this data that's been hidden and, and you know it's not transparent to the public. Mm-hmm. It puts it on a public platform that no one person can control. So mm. if I change it, everybody knows I changed ah. it. So if that car dealer changed it and tried to say, oh, there was no accident on this, there would be an alert and you would know that he changed it. I see. So there's no way to hide anything. It's very transparent. It's fantastic. It's mm. the next iteration, I think, of the web. In fact, it's called Web3, and we will see a lot of innovation. People hear a lot a lot about crypto and bitcoin Mm -hmm. but for me and as a company we're expanding into building this infrastructure for companies for me the interesting thing about all this is how do companies exchange information how do how do you um you know sell to each other without these without the knowledge that's kept hidden basically so for example if you're on facebook yep right and you tell me now I want to take all my history and my identity mm-hmm. and my uh, my wallet. I want to take it to another space like Twitter okay. or or um, Tencent. You can't really do that right now because mm-hmm. it's behind the closed firewalls yeah. of yeah. Facebook. Yeah. But once the blockchain infrastructure or is there, then you can easily take your digital identity wherever you go. So mm-hmm. it gives people a lot more ownership of their own thing and it also makes everything a lot more transparent basically and, and you build you help companies build blockchain into their systems yes we do that so we're an ai company and now we're evolving into web3 as well it's, 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 we're really geeks i'm very geeky so i love this kind of stuff <laughs> <laughs> we'll have a private conversation on that separately then <laughs> for voice of ASEAN. so i'm going on to the next question uh, Southeast Asia's digital economy is projected to double to, I think, US $363 billion by 2025. How do you see this yeah. growth affect trade, investments, and tech collaborations between ASEAN and the UAE? Well, it's going to be amazing, right? Because the mm-hmm. UAE has also done such a lot of investment in digitization in mm-hmm. it has it has the world's first ai minister mm-hmm. and and um it's i've been a huge fan of the uae i've been going to dubai a lot and i what's think what's the best that thing it, about dubai oh my god what is not the best thing about dubai it has the best um you know for me what mm-hmm. the best thing and 
it's because I'm a geek, is I see so many interesting people in technology in Dubai mm. now, mm. because it is attracting people from all over the Middle East mm. that want to create businesses for Jordan, for Africa, and because they have such great programs, where if you are a startup founder, you can get a startup visa, you can go there. So if you go to DIFC or some of these startup accelerators, you will find a peer group of people who are talking about the latest things or trying to problem solve for emerging markets in really innovative ways. And that's what I love about ASEAN as well, because, you know, we have a lot of problems in emerging markets mm -hmm. and there's a lot of things to solve. Yeah. We have great youth yeah, in I the agree. Middle East. We have great youth in ASEAN, 680 million people in ASEAN, um, everything from food security to energy optimization to logistics and we're mm -hmm. seeing that obviously with grab yep. with tokopedia yep. uh, with yep. all of these companies we are seeing that these problems one by one are being solved and so i think that there's a lot of exchange that can happen between the uae and asean on how do you exchange knowledge how do you have programs for students to go back and forth? How do you actually take something that was built in the UAE and take it to the ASEAN market or vice versa? Mm -hmm. And the beauty of something that's software is it's very portable, right? You have yeah. to go and localize it, but, mm. um, but it's not like taking huge amounts of mm. you know, containers from one place yeah, to another. Exactly. So for yeah. me, when I think about trade, when I think about collaboration, it's very digital my context is very digital and data driven mm -hmm. and then of course we need to have better the you know global laws on data privacy data mm -hmm. ethics uh, ai ethics and there's so much thought leadership coming from both regions as well yeah. it, i'm a, i mean even though i studied in the us i'm in the us right now i studied in europe i do believe the next wave of thought leadership is going to come from emerging markets from growth markets, because we are the ones who are going to be affected more yeah. than Europe and US yeah. by these new technologies. Yeah, yeah. And we are not passive anymore, right? We're really mm -hmm. smart, we're innovative, young people are thinking about it. We are the ones who will be, you know, inventing things, we are the ones who will be thinking about governance. So the more we collaborate, these regions collaborate with each other, the stronger they become. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, you mentioned data privacy, I just want your opinion on this. What do you think about how Facebook, uh, you know, Facebook is handling their data privacy. From someone who's an expert in the field, you know, there's a lot of talk about that. What is your opinion on this? Like distraction. <laughs> I No, no, no. I, I am very of the European mindset. Mm -hmm. And I believe Europe has set a fantastic standard for the mm -hmm. rest of the world. Mm -hmm. uh, and we're seeing that happening in China, in in. Um, in the Philippines, in Malaysia, mm -hmm. everywhere, your people are paying attention, and in the US, mm -hmm. on this fundamental principle that your data should be accessible to you. Mm -hmm. You should know when you when they're taking data from you, it should be more yeah. transparent to you. Mm -hmm. You should be able to have the right to be forgotten, which mm -hmm. means that if you did something in your teens, you don't want it to affect your credit yeah. rating or yeah. your employer rating, that mm -hmm. uh, you can have it deleted. And I think these are very good principles and yeah. it's called data dignity. Yeah. And I love that word, right? Yeah. Like it's a part of you and yeah. it's part of your dignity. And in life, uh, if you treat people and every aspect of them uh, with dignity, then you should respect 
everything that they do, you know, how, their passions, how we, we talk to each other. And data is a way of communication that has to be respectfully uh, handled. So I think AI, uh, Facebook is trying to do that. It's I trying did. to be better. Okay. I mean, it's under a lot of pressure from the U.S. government, so <laughs> it, uh, yeah. it doesn't have a choice, but I think there are really good people in tech everywhere. Uh, but for me, it's, it's not so much companies and their self-governance, which is very hard, right? Because you have some CEOs who have visions for themselves and you have investors and yeah. stock markets that punish mm -hmm. you. Um, but we know that the the governments are moving, and that is really forcing them to, but that would, to behave. Okay, but would that be like a conflict? Because I mean, of interest. Because if you say that there's data dignity, and therefore, I mean, your companies like Facebook, for example, cannot take your data and use it or manipulate it for their own goods to sell, then that defeats the whole advertising and AI. AI is about learning about people and where they're moving. So you're sort of tracking them across various fields and what they're doing and finding out all about them and then using that to sell advertisements. So would that not be a conflict then? Because AI is about tracking and learning and then you also have the data dignity. How does that all come together? You know, that's such a good question. First of all, AI, is a tool mm, it's okay. not really it's how you use it right mm, mm. so um it's it's like a car i can drive it really fast mm -hmm. and kill people mm. or i can be a responsible driver and take people from point a to point b mm, so yeah. ai is like that it, it was never yeah. meant to harm anyone That's so true. i agree the fact that mm. it is used to uh to personalize things for people doesn't mean that it should be used in every context yeah. Um, and so there is a lot of movement now to not track people as much and to use more anonymized ways of giving them, um, you know, personalized offerings mm. and artificial intelligence. It's opportunity is so much bigger yeah, than I just so. at the consumer level. Right. Mm. So, for example, in Singapore, we have a uh, there's a whole movement to have a, a digital assistant. So every Singaporean citizen will have a little AI assistant from the government mm -hmm. from the moment it's born to the to the moment a, a citizen unfortunately passes away. Mm -hmm. The assistant is there to help you get your your child's birth certificate to apply for a housing loan to mm -hmm. alert you of their subsidies for mm -hmm. or tax benefits to even remind you to make your will to tell you if you're elderly to get your checkups for chronic disease management that is not about selling you anything mm. that is so that there's one place where you get all the help you need instead of going from one government agency to another uh, so and i think that that's that's just one example mm. uh, another example is manufacturing mm -hmm. and just in factories mm -hmm. artificial intelligence can be used to make factories safer mm -hmm. and to make them more automated and to make them more optimized so for the same input you have fewer uh, you know fewer errors or the errors in any manufacturing process are noticed by the ai mm -hmm. using computer vision and the robot mm -hmm. um, so there is so much upside to using data well for the economy mm. that it's not just about we tend to relate it to the facebook's and the google's but yeah. it's not just about that yeah as long as it's not used in a way where it tracks people and then you lose all your privacy and it can be used for all the wrong reasons because there's a lot of fear i think i this the next question would be on behalf of a lot of people who don't know who to ask and i'm talking to an expert in this field 
So the question is, can AI actually spy on you? Like, you know, Facebook and all this, it can, it can hear your conversations, even when your phone is off, on your laptop's off. Is that true? So, and is that so again, um, <laughs> I believe it is happening with some companies. There's no, oh. there's no confirmation on this, obviously, yeah. but it can listen to you. And the, so, so it AI doesn't listen to you, right? The company no, yeah, listens. The company to you. listens. So you always yeah. need to think about the owner of the AI. AI mm. is not as smart in itself. Somebody owns the AI, and, and the person it. who owns the AI yeah. can use it for good or for bad. Yeah. So, for example, the same AI algorithm, the yeah. same mathematical algorithm that is used to generate fake data, mm. uh, can do it to to improve the detection of cancer in human beings. Mm. And it can also be used to generate fake images and fake news. That's true, yeah. Now, that's really, really important to know that it's, you know, you cannot, you shouldn't have a knee-jerk reaction against the technology. Of course. The more important thing is to think about the company, the individual, the government. That is guns only don't kill people, people them. kill people, correct? Yes, it's true, right? They say don't hate the player, you know, yeah. hate the game, basically. Yeah. So, yeah. so the question that probably, that probably will come now, how do you control people who manipulate beautiful systems like the AI yeah. for their own good, for their own well, bad or good, you know? Yeah. It's really about governance, right? Governance, and exactly. Governance is is um, governance is not uh, stifling innovation. Governance is a balanced approach mm. towards big tech, which right now have never been governed properly, yeah. according to a set of guidelines. And then there are repercussions and consequences, mm. yeah. uh, like the European Union. If you you know you can be fined up to millions of dollars if yeah. you don't comply with good ethical governance principles and mm -hmm. that is what needs to be done of course we do it right we do it for healthcare companies we don't yeah. let doctors just do whatever they want yeah we don't let pharmaceutical companies do it we don't like let banks go crazy there's mm -hmm. a monetary authority that yeah. uh, monitors how they use money and how much they infuse in the economy mm -hmm. and what they do with interest rates we mm -hmm. need the same kind of guidelines yeah. for tech yeah yep so Absolutely, I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> and it's coming. Yep, <laughs> it's coming. It's, it's, I hope so. <laughs> I, yeah. No, and there are lots and lots of people, Beatrice, like myself, who are techies, yep. who are very supportive of this, who yep. believe in this, because we see all the good that can come out. Yeah. So, whatever you do, our job is to amplify the good and mitigate the yeah. bad, yeah. and it's always both sides. Of that course. we have to handle. Of course, I agree. So <laughs> on the first day of GBF ASEAN, you will be talking about yeah. Tech 2030. So appropriate with yeah. our conversation right now. ASEAN's <laughs> digital landscape where you touch on the forces stirring today's digital landscape and what the future holds for the ASEAN digital ecosystem. Now, could you yes. please share with our viewers a brief highlight of your presentation and what you yes. hope people will take away from it? Well, I think my main thing would be going over some of the incredible disruption mm -hmm. and uh, that has happened in sectors from transportation to um, to food tech, to energy systems. Uh, mm -hmm. And really it is driven by digitization. 
So yeah. right now, the digitization is the first wave that we see, which is primarily B2C or business to consumer. Yeah. Because most of the population in ASEAN, first of all, it's very young, yeah. like the Middle East. So it's yeah. different from US, Europe, Japan, mm. even Singapore that way. Mm. And secondly, they all have mobile phones, mm. which means that has become their medium of getting a lot of these services that used to be uh, coming from different kinds of you know, bureaucratic processes. Yeah. That's the first thing. The second thing that we see is, uh, you know, level two businesses like healthcare, for example. Mm -hmm. So we've seen digitization first. Mm -hmm. The second thing we see is what happens when hardware becomes smaller. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if you are a woman and or a man, you know, or a man and you you want to get checked for any kind of tumor or you're pregnant, you go to the hospital. You go to yeah. the hospital, there's a big room or a small room with an ultrasound machine in it. Mm -hmm. And there's a nurse there and she takes your ultrasound. Yeah. Now, for cities, you know, how do you digitize something like that? How do you make it easier so that you don't have to, you know, commute 45 minutes to that one hospital that's already overburdened in some yeah. of these cities? Well, there are new kinds of ultrasounds that are handheld that are literally this small, like Butterfly IQ, and you connect it to your iPhone. And then somebody can just come on a bicycle or a motorcycle mm -hmm. um, and they can literally take it in your own home or a very small clinic near you. And the iPhone has even artificial intelligence in it. Yep. And it can it can mine the data and it can alert a doctor mm -hmm. that may be, you know, an hour or two away. Mm -hmm. So that's the next level where we see where not only education and healthcare and energy management and security, they, they become digitized. Right now we're yep. seeing, you know, more basic things. Yep. And of course, the third thing is, then you see large manufacturing and industrial sectors and agriculture mm. become uh, digitized as well. Mm. So then you see that all these factories that are so inefficient or construction that is so inefficient and wasteful mm. or agriculture with which could be so much more productive, that then comes into play. And, and these three waves, we're seeing just the first wave and people are so excited about it. Yeah. But the second and third, as they come along, they will wholly transform the economies of ASEAN. And when they do that, we will see the economic mobility of the youth and the talent and the, even the middle age, the middle class should swell. Yeah. The middle class should become bigger. And that is ultimately the best sign of economic prosperity is when the middle class becomes bigger and bigger over time as it reaps benefits of this economic, it's kind of this flabby fat mm -hmm. that can be removed by using data and AI and digital. Yeah. Would there be a danger of going too digital, you think? Then, you know, so well, digital that we don't need people anymore. <laughs> well, okay, so that's a really good question. Yeah. There is that danger, but we cannot stop digitization, but we have to accept that there are, again, downsides. So, for example, there are uh, virtual boyfriends and girlfriends in China and even in the U.S. Mm -hmm. that, that some people prefer to human relationships. And um, they, and we know with the metaverse coming up, yep. they, you know, we, you never know. Are you talking to me? Are you talking to an AI? And are we okay with this? So the, like, I was, you know, it's like a disconnect from reality, like with the metaverse, for I example. Mean, it's it's kind of an extension of reality. 
It's actually called XR also. Okay. The idea is that you go in and out from digital offline to online and you're, it's just seamless. And if you talk to younger people, especially digital natives or kids these days, Generation Z, they're okay with it. You know, if you said, would you be okay with an AI as a friend? They'd be okay with it. And uh, sometimes you could say that, you know, you're really tired. You want to meet your aunt or your cousin and she's just nagging you. Or you can have a cup of tea with your digital friend and download the art history and and art culture library and have a great conversation about the Louvre and Matisse and Bansky. So I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I do. It's going to yeah. happen. So then the question is, how do you protect people from bigger issues, from not investing in human relationships and yeah. more than that, yeah. not investing in physical exercise and yeah. going out there and getting exactly. fresh air? Exactly. I mean, I'm afraid. Do you think we would lose hum our humanity in the process? I and mean, we get too engrossed into this whole. We could. And we have to think about it. Right? You know? Yeah. I mean, if you, it's like all these kids that go into gaming. Yeah. So, you know what China did? China said, this is too much. Mm. I'm not going to allow kids to have access to gaming yeah. before a certain age. Mm. And if they do, it's only two days over the weekend. Well, that's you across know, that, the board, all over. Uh, it's like a rule in China? It's a rule. Oh. And China has a lot of other things too. It said all this data that you're taking in financial services and giving people loans, mm. it's putting them into debt. So they started saying, you can't do that anymore. In fact, the Chinese are literally saying, the government is saying, you are collecting too much data on citizens. Oh, um, and I think it's very important to realize that China has a, is, is taking this very progressive approach yeah, I think because it true. realizes it. And, um, and it's taking, because there are over a billion people, it's taking a very systematic and approach for the mental and emotional health of mm -hmm. its citizens mm -hmm. so that they can enter this world in a way that is less uh disconnected but maybe more naturally uh enter it and be productive in it so mm -hmm. i'm a big fan of what they're doing right now I to so. I, and, I, I and they, most people don't even realize that yeah i think it, they're measuring it you're not like you know you're not like spinning out of control everything is measured so that yeah. you still retain your as i say humanity with the technological world that we seem to be immersed in a lot. I mean, so governments, one, one of the things I love about Singapore also is that mm -hmm. governments need to be agile. You know, yeah. in tech, we talk about agility, being light on your feet, yeah. being yeah. data-driven. Yeah. You yeah. notice something, change it, improve it. Whereas traditionally, governments have made five-year plans yeah. and they stick to them. Mm. Whereas now, because technology is changing so fast, mm. you know, you should change. You should change it if something's not working or you, you had a policy yep. for, the, for the best interest. The government yep. is trying to, obviously, its job is to promote citizens and always trying to do that. Yeah. Um, but if it's not working, you change it yep. and you give, uh, you know, you use data to inform you. And I think yeah. that's what we're seeing now is yeah. new governments that, especially where there's a lot of tech, Yep. Yeah, governments are taking on and they're they're actually including tech yep. data, yep. big yep. AI specialists in government, which is fantastic. Yeah, I think Singapore is leading the way in ASEAN, at least Singapore seems, yeah. seems to be leading the way. But what do you think ASEAN can do as a group to enhance the possibility of collaborations with UAE and the rest of the world on improving digital landscapes? Well, I think always, always between, between regions is exchange of knowledge. 
Mm. So there's exchange of knowledge as great universities in both regions are building great technologies. How can we reuse it? How can we have universities do more collaboration so that we're not mm. just at the, so we can get more into deep tech yep. in, in every way. Um, secondly, there are visa programs for entrepreneurs and exchange of an ease of bringing startups from one Mm. Uh, region to another and supporting them to and connecting them with possible customers. I mean, that's very important as well. Mm -hmm. um, there is uh, a joint effort for data portability, data mm -hmm. exchange, data regulation, yeah. How yeah. so that companies can use There's a free flow of data like trade. How do you do it in a responsible manner, which mm -hmm. is beneficial to both regions? And of course, there is this. Uh, there are you know joint efforts to encourage minorities and women, especially, to join this and to inspire each other as a, and to make sure that there's more inclusion and diversity in tech. Yeah, yeah. I think that's something we we don't see enough of women in tech. You know. Yes. And, yeah. <laughs> is that? Do you think there's a reason for that? You know why there are so historical bias. Mm -hmm. Sorry, it's a historical bias that we've had yeah. in in all over the world. Um, that's why I have my charity, Twenty First Century Girls, and a lot of what we do is teach girls mm. AI and yeah. data and coding mm. in yeah. a safe and encouraging environment, so that they're mm. not feeling shy. Yeah. But no matter what their background, they're like, "Oh, I can do this. I can yeah. participate in the next economy." Um, and it's very, very important. It's not just good for the country because half your population is completely excluded otherwise yeah. from from participating and in, in helping you co become competitive as a country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's also good for products because a lot of the buyers now are women. Yeah. Women are getting educated. Yeah. They're rising in the middle class. Yeah. And you don't want products that were made for men, yeah. you know, but to put some pink on it and try to sell it to women, it's not going to work anymore. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But, but I think, it's, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's just basically for women an innate fear that we are not tech-minded. Men are tech-minded and women are not. And I think that's, again, not necessarily true because it's the way we are conditioned from birth to oh. think. Yeah. It's not true at all. Are you yeah. kidding? It's absolutely not true. Yeah. Uh, it's just that we think we can't do it. Uh, exactly. And that bias has to be removed. It's ridiculous. Yep. You take it's it out. so old school. Yeah. Yeah. Pakistan oh, I I must be it. very proud of you because, you know, you know, you, you are an amazing person. <laughs> and do you do work? Do you do, do, do you go back to Pakistan and see how you can change that bias or where girls get more into this part of science, AI and technology? Is, you have found well my focus my charity's focus is absolutely on singapore and we only work in singapore at the moment I see. but um but my co-founder is based in pakistan and my a lot of my team is there and they do a lot of work around mm -hmm. this like kind of thinking about um you know how can we have more girls in tech in data science yeah. and it, it's a it, pakistan also has a huge population yeah. of um incredibly talented women yeah. who are interested and and digital work is so meritocratic that way yeah. you know it is yes. um, doesn't matter exactly. how you look or yeah. whether you came on a bicycle or a bmw you can make it and that's yeah. what i like about yeah. it it's based it's, on your skills and the outcome <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, Dr. Aisha, as a Singaporean, what are your aspirations for GBF ASEAN? You know, in terms oh, of me, trade, because it's the first yeah, time, I mean, you know. It's the first time. It's 
I'm I'm such a big fan of the UAE and uh, and of course as as a Singaporean of the opportunity that ASEAN has of collaborating with that region. I hope a lot of good initiatives, like concrete initiatives come out mm. on how we can have more exchange of um you know, academic knowledge, obviously, yeah. because we are developing in deep tech as well. Singapore yeah. is has a lot of investments in the um, AI and robotics and 3D manufacturing mm -hmm. and, and, and now in crypto, really yeah. trying to improve how we can collaborate together. And then, of course, having um, ease of flow of data. What are data mm -hmm. and AI guidelines that we can develop together and take yeah. to Davos, take yeah. to uh, the United Nations? There, we are in very similar regions in yeah. terms of the Middle East and ASEAN. Yeah. And there is, we can accelerate yeah. the growth and the economic prosperity of both regions by collaborating. Fantastic. And now, before we go, I need the audience to know a little bit about you. You know, when we spoke earlier, you said that, yes. I mean, you, you, you have an incredible rise to where you are right now. But at, at some point, you said you had to fail spectacularly to be where oh, you yes. are. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I failed so many times, I don't even remember. But I had a couple of startups, one in New York mm -hmm. that, that, that didn't do well. Then I had... Uh, Two in Singapore, as I mentioned, that failed spectacularly, um, and it was a. It, it's just the nature of entrepreneurship. Yeah. Um, it just so happens that you know, third time was a charm, and and this has worked out really well. But every time you learn and you take that learning and you go ahead, and in for me, and I know you were saying that Beatrice as well, like, um, you know, failure is just not a bad thing. It's yeah. an opportunity to learn. You just brush it off. Yeah. But in Asia, especially, we have been, uh, we associated it with shame yeah. and we are very conscious of it. Yeah. But we shouldn't be. Yeah, we should be. I think you if, see that failure like a badge that now I yeah. learned what not to do so that I can do it right. It's absolutely yeah. true. It's absolutely yeah. true. And I think that's really, really important, especially yeah. for as the economy is disrupting around us. Some of us are going to lose our jobs. Some of us yeah. are going to lose certain tasks. Some of us are going to do really well. Mm -hmm. And some of us are going to be happy. Some of us are going to be upset at different times. Yeah. So the only thing that keeps us going is, you know what? So what? I'm going to learn some new skills. Exactly. I'll keep trying. And if you get emotionally down, because of some sense of failure, that's not going to help you, your family, your kids, um, yeah. your own future. So it's extremely important, especially yeah. given we're going into an era of accelerated technologies. And in social media, you see a lot of people who are ostensibly doing well, yeah. uh, even though we know it's a lot of like everybody's had highs and lows at the back. Yes. And it's important to talk about it. It's important to talk I about the so. fact yep. that it's, it's hard and that's yep. okay. And I like what you said, we should share our failures. As much as we share yeah. our success stories, we should share our failure stories so that uh, the younger generation and people who are starting ought to know that there's nothing wrong yes. or nothing shameful about failing. Because if you don't fail, you'll never know how to win. So no, it's the and same, you know, you, know, you also coin, isn't it? Yeah. You have to think about the numbers, right? I mean, mm -hmm. look, I do business development. I talk to tens of people 90 percent of people i speak to the answers are no not right now yeah um most yeah. startups that start fail and yeah. that and that's fine you know yeah. i myself in let alone that like mm. 
startups I failed at. We started three different products. We tried to get into the product with them and failed. Yeah. three times mm. now we're going to do it again yep. not that anything stops <laughs> me you know but so you just have to have that attitude yeah. and Look, i think i just said fail a hundred times or was it 99 times i don't know yeah but finally right? invented the light bulb <laughs> <laughs> and, and people worry about money right so yeah. when you fail mm -hmm. it's people say well practically i put in a year of my life into yep. it i put in my savings or my yep. vc money or yep. i didn't yep. there was an opportunity cost yes but if you can turn it into your next thing or and i think it's very important that we hear about all these startups but to be entrepreneurial is not to only have your own company or be in a startup to be entrepreneurial you can be entrepreneurial anywhere you can yeah. be entrepreneur you can be an entrepreneurial mindset in a company in politics yeah. in a nonprofit yeah. Yeah. as an actor as a chef um, exactly. working in for a hotel mm -hmm. as as a and the front desk it's a mindset it's a way of life 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 yeah and it's great mm -hmm. it's great once you get into it it's great but it's it's also terrible at times because you know some days you wake up and you're like ah oh, nothing's going my way and it never ends you know because yeah, you I know. um i know and then we always look at these articles and social media and you think everybody has a perfect life and they exactly. really don't i mean i'm old enough to know that but yep. for any young listener out there you know i think i think we should never compare i think that's the one yeah. thing comparison is a thief of joy you never compare and say oh my god you know i failed but the person did better because your turn hasn't come yet and like see you had to fail three times for you to win spectacularly yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no i mean and i think the truth of the matter is that yeah. It's not what it seems, you know, every single person has highs and lows. Yeah, um, I agree. And, and when you're young, you don't know that because you haven't been through so many highs and yeah. lows and you haven't seen your friends go through yeah. it. So that I, I worry about the youngsters, you know, in, in growth markets and everywhere in the world. But yeah. I hope they listen and, and know that that is just the nature of life. That is that is just the nature of life. And I think there's some comments coming in. So people oh. love you, Dr. Aisha. <laughs> so there's Jana Palani Sami saying great sharing. Thank you, Dr. Aisha. And there's Shireen who says great interview, such wonderful energy. I agree. Thank you for sharing your insightful and powerful insights, Dr. Aisha. Yay. Thank you so much, guys. And thank, thank you, Beatrice. Well, thank you. So Dr. Aisha. nice to meet you. Nice talking to you. And I'm looking forward to hearing your talk in the conference. And um, join us live, everyone, tomorrow, 26 November at 5 p.m. Malaysian time for an interview with Dr. Brian Shager, President of the UAE Singapore Business Council, another distinguished speaker at the GBF ASEAN 2021. Voice of ASEAN thanks Dr. Aisha and we thank you for your time and we'll be uploading a recorded version of this dialogue in our portal for those who missed this absolutely wonderful interview with one of the most energetic ladies I've ever met in my lifetime. <laughs> Thank you everyone.